kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm doing well. Doing well. We're in the second week of a series that we started last week where we are wrestling with attention. Attention that we have as, as Christians. We are looking forward to our future in heaven. A wonderful, a wonderful thing. But we also have a tension because there is a present call for holiness. We have this tension caring about the future, but also caring about the present. And last week, uh, 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 Tom introduced this series where he emphasized that we should not be overlooking today because we're looking forward to what comes next. And as a matter of fact, today we have a responsibility, even though the kingdom is something that's coming, the kingdom is something that's also here too. And so we have a responsibility to be about the work of the kingdom. And in that hope that we have in heaven, that confidence, that confidence that we can find in that future hope should be leading our, our lives right now. Because as Tom said last week, we are already in eternity. Eternity is not something that is coming. Eternity is here. Um, if you were not with us last week, I, re- I would really encourage you to go back and listen. Um, uh, because we want to get there, right? We want to get to heaven. That's the not yet, right? That's what's, that's what's coming. But just because it is not yet does not mean that there is not very real kingdom work that is happening right here already. Um, In this series, we are trying to think about heaven in a new light. Um, We talk a lot about heaven. Um, That's hopefully something uh, that we are very mindful of as Christians. But I want to approach the way that we are looking at heaven heaven a little bit differently. And when I'm uh, 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 thinking about how we're going to work, uh, work uh, through this series, I'm mindful of, of what we're emphasizing all year long. And that's our identity as God's set apart. Our identity as God's holy people. What interests Christians more? What comes after this life? or holy living in this life? What interests Christians more, do you think? What comes after, or what we have right now? As I was growing up, I, I feel that a lot of the emphasis that I was taught, a lot of the emphasis was put on what comes later, I don't mean to say that I did, a, I, I did not learn about Christian living uh, in my uh, Sunday school classes. We spent a lot of time talking about what Christians ought to be doing. But it was often framed in this way, that by doing Christian things here, I can, I can get there. If I will do Christian things here, then I I can end up at, at the place that 
I want to end up. And the flip side is also true. When there are things happening here that aren't very good, when there are things happening here that are very discouraging, that's okay. I just have to hold on until I get there. There's a, there is a, a real differentiation, right, uh, between what's right now and, and, and what's coming. And all that's true. We should be doing Christian things, and we should want to, to get there. We should be longing to be in heaven with our, our Heavenly Father. But there are some problems if we only think about there, and we don't care as much about here. If here is purely temporary, if, if here is purely transitional, then we really don't have to care that much about what we leave behind. And we really don't have to care that much about the effects, the long-term effects of our actions on the people around us. We just have to muscle on until the end. We just have to get to the finish line. If here is only temporary, we really have this finish line mentality. And if here is only temporary and we just have to get to the finish line, then the curves in life, well, they don't really matter. Just as long as you don't break any of the big rules, you're living in those curves, I mean, it's not that big a deal because all that matters is you get to the finish line, right? The New Testament does speak a decent amount about what comes next and what we can expect um, uh, in our heavenly home. But when you compare how much the New Testament says about holy living and how much the New Testament says about bringing in the kingdom of God in your life today in comparison to how little it actually really talks about heaven, I think maybe we should make a bigger priority for holy living. There is going to come, and we need to be talking about heaven more, but we cannot overlook our responsibility as God's people to care about holy living right now. As Tom showed us last week, the destination certainly matters, but God cares about our journey. I think that's why Tom likes Lord of the Rings so much. It's a long journey just to get to that just to get to that one destination. Our destination matters. It certainly matters, and I hope that you're excited about your destination because of your relationship with Jesus. But we can't overlook holy living as well. This morning, we're going to continue this study by asking this question. Is it enough if you want to go to heaven? Is it enough if you want to go to heaven? If you want to go to heaven one day, then I would say you are off to a good start. You're off to a good start. A desire to go to, to the right place is, is certainly a priority. It should be a priority in our lives. But our ultimate aim as Christians is not just assuring our heavenly home, but I hope we'll see this morning it's also about bringing about God's kingdom in your life right now. Um, we're going to be a couple of different places in the Gospels. Uh, we're going to start in Mark and then shift over to Matthew. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be there uh, in just a moment this morning. It'll also be on the screen. As I mentioned earlier, you might be surprised about how little the New Testament actually says about heaven. We get these great 
uh, illustrations of, you know, what the heavenly scene is going to look like, and we get these these great images of, of, of how quickly heaven is going to come in the words of Jesus. But truthfully, there's a, a lot left unanswered in the New Testament. Um, and I think that's okay. But even in the New Testament, when it does talk about heaven, when, it, when Jesus is telling his disciples about what's to come af- after this life, he's often using it as an instruction for his people to hear right now. And one such example is a question that's asked of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. You might be familiar with the, with the rich young man or the rich young ruler. Let's see that account. Let's, uh, starting in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. All right, so before we go further, let's just paint the scene of what's happening. There's a man who's coming to Jesus, and he's looking for answers. A man coming to Jesus, and he's looking for answers. That's a great place to start. He's, he's off to a good start. He's looking, he's looking in the right place. This man should at least be commended for going to Jesus with this, with this question. How many other lifestyles and places are people going right now to look for answers about the future or purpose or identity? At least this man is going to Jesus. Now, did you notice what the man asked Jesus for? Okay, did you notice what he asked Jesus for? He said, what must I do to inherit what? Eternal life. He cares about where he's going. He wants to, wants to go to, to the right place. This is exactly what we're thinking about this morning. The man wants to go to heaven. That's his desire. He wants to end up in a place where he is with God. He's on the right track. In just a minute, we're going to hear more from Jesus. But there's something interesting about Jesus' initial response. He highlights that introductory thinking. What I mentioned earlier, what I was learning when I was growing up. Well, if you, if you want to go there, well, you have to make sure you're doing, you're doing the right things here, right? You know the Ten Commandments, right? Are, are, are you doing the things that you, you, you're supposed to be doing? And he, he uses the old law as, as the standard. Here's the first thing that the man learns from Jesus. Part of being good is doing good things. Part, that's the key word, part of being good is doing good things. That's just part of it. This man rightly calls Jesus good because of what Jesus has claimed to be so far in his life, where Jesus claims to be from, and where this man wants, wants to go one day. The first step to doing that is caring about doing the right things. Jesus lists just some of these. The, all, the, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, is something that his listeners would have been very, very familiar with, certainly this man. And it's the starting place for people's relationship with God. But even for Israel, even at, uh, at the... Uh, 
at the most important moments in Israel's history, obedience to the law is not the end goal, right? Obedience to the law is not what God wants for his people. God wants for his people to be in relationship with him. And obedience to the law is how you start that. God wants his people to be holy as he is holy. And a part of, of doing that, a part of having that relationship with God is doing godly things. But there's more to it than that. As Jesus is going to reveal, let's continue in verse 20. And he, he said to Jesus, Teacher, all, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. After hearing this list of good things, these are, these are the good things that you should do if you're, if you're God's people, this man eagerly commends himself. I've, I've done all that. What's next? Um, and Jesus continues, doing good things is not enough. Now, before we hear the man's problem, before we hear what's in the way of this man inheriting eternal life like he wants to, first, did you notice how Jesus feels about the man? What did it say? He loved him. He saw him, and he loved him. Even though Jesus is about to tell him something really challenging, something that's really going to be frustrating to this man, he's not doing it because he wants to put him down. He's doing it because he loves him and he wants to have a relationship with him. And the thing that Jesus is about to tell this man is what's standing in the way of that relationship happening. Here's what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus doesn't ask the man to change his destination. He doesn't say, you're thinking about it all wrong. The man comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the destination. That's where he wants to go. Jesus doesn't say, you need to change your destination. Jesus says, you need to reconsider your journey. He says, you need to reconsider what you're doing right here in order to get there. You need to follow Jesus. And there's a barrier for this man in his ability to follow Jesus. And it's, unfortunately, the thing that he seems to be unwilling to give up. It's his money. He walks away sorrowful because even though he wants the right destination, he desires to go to heaven. He, de he desires to be with God. He's unwilling to change the way that he's grown comfortable in his journey. He's unwilling to change the way that he uses his money. The rich young man wants eternal life then, just not now. He wants it then, just not now. Jesus' response reveals something really staggering about this man. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe something true about us as well. Even if we desire to inherit eternal life, maybe there's something in this man's life that he's not willing to get up. He's not, he's not willing to give up. And maybe he'll miss out on eternal life because he doesn't want to give up his way of life. He has the right place. He has the right idea. He has the right starting place. He's, he's going to Jesus. He even has the right end goal. He has a desire to be with God, but his intent for the journey. His willingness 
to change how he lives around those curves in life isn't, isn't changing. He wants it then and not now. Hold on to this image of, uh, of the man. We, we, we will come back to it. And let's look at a couple more. This is a repeated theme in the Gospels. Uh, a lot of times when people are asking Jesus about heaven, when people are asking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus is answering with these kind of questions that really puts it back on them. That what's important is holy living right now. What's important is your relationship with my Father. What's important is how you care about the kingdom. People wanting the right destination and missing the big picture. One example is in Matthew 25. Actually, both of these examples are in Matthew 25. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to try to summarize them for you. We have, at the beginning of the chapter, the parable of the ten virgins who are, who are going to eat the, the bridegroom. You have these ten women who want to go to the wedding. They want to go and be at the wedding feast and to be a part of the celebration. But there were five wise virgins who, who are described as wise because they took extra oil for their lanterns. And then there are five foolish virgins who, who did not bring extra reserves of oil. And as the night goes on, as midnight approaches, the bridegroom's finally coming, and everybody's very excited. They're like, I want to go be a part of the feast. Well, the foolish virgins are starting to notice that their lanterns are going out, and so they have to go to, into the market to purchase some oil at midnight. That seems surprising, um, but they have to go into the market, and they have to purchase oil and when they return, by the time they get to the feast, by the time they get to the banquet hall, well, the doors are closed. The feast has already started. And they knock on the door and they say, Master, let us in. Open up the door. Lord, open to us. And he says, I do not know you. They desired to go to the right place. They desired the right destination. But they were not willing or they didn't plan to change their journey. In order, in order to get there. Later on in the chapter, we read this earlier. Jesus gives this picture of the final judgment, the son of man, angels all with him, with this glorious throne, and all nations are gathered before him, and he sets the people apart, the sheeps and the goats, to the sheep on the right, he says, Come and hear the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And to the goats on the left, he says, Depart from me, for you gave me no food. You gave me no clothes. You did not welcome me. You did not visit me when I was, when I was sick and in prison. Both the sheep and the goats in that image are really excited, probably, to be standing before the throne. And interestingly enough, when, when the Son of Man looks at these sheep and says, look at these great things that you did, they say, when did we do that? I don't remember doing that to you, Jesus. They're, they're surprised at this accusation of doing good works, of, of being holy people. When it what it appears is that in, in the curves of their life, while they were living, while they were doing the things that they were doing on this earth, they were mindful of the people around them. They were earnest about holy living 
in the minutia of life. When I think about the goats, they probably were like, we did the ten things. We didn't break any of the big rules. We made it here to the finish line. We desired to go to the right place. Is that not enough? And Jesus says, you did not really know me because you didn't do my things in your life. You did not bring about my kingdom in your world. We have these three separate images, the rich young man, the ten virgins, the judging of the sheep and the goats. And in each of these images, and we could explore many, many more in the Gospels, this is what it looks like. To desire the right destination, but to want to get there with the wrong intent. Let's pause. Take all those images and put them together. Let's pause on that and take a detour and talk about idol worship. We learn a great deal about the worship of idols in the, in the Old Testament. This is a real repeated struggle for God's people. It's one of the big ten, one of the ten commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, and then you shall have no other carved images. These two really go hand in hand, but the second one really seems to be a problem for God's people. It's a problem because as they intermingle with other nations and as they intermarry, intermarry with other nations, foreign gods and these idols are brought into their, into their homes. And it's a real stumbling block for God's people for, for thousands of years, really. And the, the church in 2023 probably knows I would hope that we know that idol worship is not something that we should be doing. Idol worship is not something that, that we should be entertaining. But truthfully, we really don't talk about idols a whole lot because that sounds like a, like a way back then problem. That doesn't sound like a modern day, a modern day problem. The pool for God's people to turn to idols instead of trusting in God. It's not just a problem for his people thousands of years ago, but it is a real problem in the hearts of Christians right now. Maybe even right now more than it was back then. Because idol worship right now is a lot less obvious than a carved, than a carved statue on an Israelite shelf. Let's think for just a moment about the role that idols played in the lives of the Israelite people. Let's think about them before we, we think about us. Idols were used to placate the gods, to, to satisfy some type of entity so that a, a, a certain outcome could be reached, right? So we have these, these idols for different gods over different areas of maybe agriculture or, or health. Um, and by having these idols they could get what they wanted in, in these different areas. And the Israelites came, came by it honestly. They came by idols honestly. They believed in God to lead and protect them. They had seen God lead and protect them out of Egypt. But in order to blend in, and probably in order to get things that they wanted in life, Israelites would entertain these house idols. One way to think about idols is that 
idols claim to control and claim to bring peace to the world around us. Idols claim to control and bring peace to to the world around us. And for the Israelites, when they're looking at the areas in their life that are difficult, are challenging, are struggling, they have a need, they have a want in life, if I go to X idol, then I can get what I want in, in that area of my life. I can control it if I'll, I'll worship this idol. I can have peace about my household if I have this idol on the shelf or on the table. If I can just do the right things, if I can just execute the formula, I can have what I want, I can have a good harvest, I can have a healthy family, I can have health in my own life, there can be peace in my streets. Hold on just a second, though. Didn't God promise Israel some of those same things? God promised that he would give them security and peace. God promised that he would provide for them and give them the things that they need. God promised that their families, their nations would be as many as the sands on the sea. In some cases, God had already given some of the, had already given them some of the things that they were going to these idols for. One of the major appeals of idol worship for the Israelites, is that worshiping an idol is not all life-encompassing. You can take this area of need, you can take this want, this worry, and you can put it in a statue. You can put it on a shelf and say, I care about that, I've controlled it. And the rest of my life, I don't have to care about, I don't have to care about that as much, because I've done my part. I've set out the idol. I've, I've said the prayers. I've walked past the corner that I'm, I'm supposed to walk past. I've done the things that I'm supposed to do. Idol worship is not all-encompassing in life. It's just this one little act, and you do it here, and then you can go on your way, all in order to get what you want. Even for the Israelites, in their deepest turns off the, off the path into idol worship, turning to foreign gods, they still want good things. They still want good things that Yahweh God said he was going to give them. Sometimes they didn't, but most of the time they still wanted good things. But turning to idols is a lot easier than actually having a relationship with God. That's the truth for Israel. Turning to idols is an easier alternative to supposedly get the end that you want without having to care about all those rules in Leviticus. Do you see the similarity here between the rich young ruler and the ten virgins and the sheep and the goats and the ongoing struggle for idol worship for God's people? They all desired the right ends. They all desired to have good things. They all desired to have the things that God said he was going to give them. But the relationship, the holy relationship between God and his people is not something that they were willing to have for one reason or another. That idol worship is not just a problem back then. It's a problem today is a pitfall for God's people right now. 
as people hope to control their world and hope to find peace and sometimes create it for themselves. And these modern-day idols, they don't often come in the form of a statue on the shelf. Maybe they do, and maybe we should have a different discussion. But sometimes, idols can come in the form of wanting a good thing, of wanting something that is supposedly really good. Even things like marriage and having children and your work can become idols in your life. When we think that if I can get this one thing, if I can get something, whether it be having kids or whether it be getting married, and if by doing that thing, I can finally find peace, I can finally find closure, I can finally feel loved, I can finally find my purpose in life, continuing to go to that well might satisfy it a little bit. But instead of seeking a relationship with God and finding our identity in Him, we get lost finding it in our work. And work becomes idol worship. And instead of finding love and intimacy in our relationship with God, we look for it in somebody else. And even that marriage can become idol worship if it's pulling us away from God. Things like marriage can and should be a holy relationship that drives a man and a woman into a deeper understanding of God's immense love for his people. But if we aren't intentional, and this, this is a key word, if we're not intentional with something as sacred as marriage, even the right end goal is not enough. Having a desire for the right outcome is not enough. Your relationship with God should shape your marriage not the other way around. Your relationship with God should shape the way you work. It should shape the way you live. And just like marriage and some of these other things, even something as wonderful as a desire to go to heaven can become an idol in our life. Heaven becomes an idol when all it is to us is an idea on the shelf. I hope I get to heaven one day. Or we walk past it a lot. We throw up prayers to it a lot. And when things are going bad in our life, we really, 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 really hope that heaven is our finish line. But when it comes to the actions in our life, it's just sitting on the shelf. And our hope in heaven has not instilled that confidence in holy living. And when our Hope, our desire for the right end goal, has not transformed the way that we're living around the curves. Is it really any different than what happened for the rich young ruler? Is it really any different than the idol worship that the Israelites continued to find themselves in? Hoping for the right thing, but not willing to change or restructure the life because of a relationship with God. But I really hope I get to heaven one day. Having the desire for the right end is not enough. That's what Jesus tells the rich young man. Even doing good things is not enough. That's a part of it, but it's not enough. What matters is your relationship with God right now and how it transforms your life and the way that you live. There's no waiting for the bridegroom to come home, for waiting for Jesus to come back to give your life to him. As Tom told us last week, eternity 
is right now. It's right now. I think a common question that we're prone to ask, especially when we're younger, like I did, or as we get older, is am I going to heaven when, when I die? That's a question I asked myself when I was in middle school at a Bible camp around the pool when I gave my life to Christ. And that question, am I going to heaven, is a good place to start. But I, I think asking the question, am I going to heaven, is asking the wrong question. That's the kind of question that's a little too similar to, to idol worship. Have I done the things that I need to do here so that I can get, I can get to where I want to go there? We should earnestly desire to go to heaven. The book of 1 Peter says that our, we're groaning for it. All creation is groaning for it. We should long for it. But instead of asking, am I going to heaven when I die, maybe we should be asking, is the life that I am living right now bringing about the kingdom? Am I walking in a direction that is taking me to heaven? Heaven's still our end goal, but we're caring about the direction of our walk right here. We're caring about our relationship with God right here. Owing our destination should cause us to change our journey. Owing that our destination is the kingdom of heaven should tell us that right now is the time to care about the kingdom of heaven. If we want it to be one way there, why are we not making it a priority here? And we are, sometimes. But what can we do to help each other care more about living on those curves and not be complacent in what we've done, like the rich young ruler was? I've done all those things since my youth. We must remind ourselves that we can never earn our way into heaven by doing enough good things. That's just part of it. If our journey doesn't change, if our destination is just something that makes us feel better about ourselves, if our destination is just something that makes us feel better when things in life aren't going well, then is it a little bit like idol worship? Executing the formula to control and find peace in your life. What does it look like to change your journey for each one of us? It's going to look like something different. But I think a great place to start is where the rich young ruler did, where he was asked to start. Is there something in your life that is so much a treasure to you, that is so much a comfort to you, that it is keeping you from relying on God? Is there something in your life that has become such a security to you that you find more comfort in that thing than you find in your relationship with God? Maybe it's money, like the rich young ruler, and you need to be considering, reconsidering how you are using your money. Maybe it's a relationship, and you need to, be, you need to reconsider how you're living in that relationship. Maybe it's a hobby or your work. Hopefully the good things in our life, like our marriage and our kids and our hope for heaven, and the great many good things that we can be doing in this world— Hopefully those good things are coming from God, and hopefully those good things are pushing us back to God. But if we aren't intentional with how we live in the curves and the twists and the turns in life, then even the good things can look like futile idol worship. And as we wrap up this morning, idol worship leads to idol living. And idol living leads back into more idol worship. Jesus' invitation to the people time and time again, please, please, please do not lose heart. Do not neglect your journey 
and understand that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is here, it says in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. Are we a little more happier with the living part <laughs> or, or the dying part? And aren't that anxious to really care about the living part? If we aren't intentional with our walk, if we aren't mindful of our relationship with God daily, then even though we're desiring the right intention, we might idle out before we get there. A worry that I have about this message this morning is that it might sound like I'm anti-heaven. That is not the case. I love heaven. Absolutely not. The same desire that I had as a middle school boy at summer camp to be at home with my Heavenly Father is still alive and well within me. And in some ways, even more so, as the, there have been people in my life that I love who have gone on before me. I desperately, desperately want to get there. And I pray that you do too. But if we don't want to foster a relationship with God in our lives right now, what makes us think we'll want it when we get there? I'm sure the goats wanted it really badly. Christians are certainly looking forward to our heavenly home, but we cannot be convinced that wanting the right place, wanting the right destination is enough. You need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we can even have that hope in the first place. As we, consider, as we continue to consider holiness and heaven over the next few weeks, my prayer is that we would all the more earnestly seek heaven as our end goal and be all the more anxious to share in holiness as a Christian community right here and right now. Heaven is not an idol to put on your shelf where you have done the right things and so you're secure for what comes next. I've done ABC, so now I get to go to heaven. God does not just want a relationship with you then. He does want a relationship with you then. He wants you there. He sent his son to die for you so that you could be there. But he wants it here, too. He wants a relationship with you right now. If you have, do not have a relationship with Jesus, the things of this world, no matter how good they seem, no matter how good they make you feel, will never satisfy you in the way that you were created to and the way that you were to be known by your creator Jesus died for you on the cross so that you no longer have to pay the price for the sins in your life. If you are a Christian, but your walk with Jesus has looked a little bit more like a trudge than a strut, or you've kept the Big Ten, I've, I, I've done all those things ex since my youth, but maybe we haven't been as passionate about holy living as we walk around the curves, sometimes very slowly. What you need is the prayers of your brothers and sisters and to recommit your life to the person who's the only reason that you have a hope in heaven to begin with, and that's Jesus Christ. If you have any need this morning, whether it's here in person or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, we really hope that you make it known. We would love, love for you to be in heaven, but we would love to be a part of the kingdom with you uh, here today. M my final prayer for us this morning is that the church will be so captivated by our Lord that praise be to God by the Holy Spirit we can relish in the eternal riches of eternity 
right here and on until Jesus comes back. If you have any need this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and sing?